namo tassa bhagavatu arahatu samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavatu arahatu samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavatu arahatu samma sambuddhassa buddhang dhammang sangham namasami Can everybody hear me okay? Yeah? So, I have, it's one of my favorite topics. I don't know what will come out of my talk, but I love this particular topic because it's the epitome of paradoxes in Buddhism. You know, paradoxes, the thing that we can't think twice at the same time, you know, it's just on, how can I stop thinking? When I saw the title, because I actually didn't choose the title, I just chose a date, really, and I like the title. Um, it's like, once you stop wanting not to think, your thought might stop. When, when you realize that you might actually um, uh, stop thinking when you stop wanting to stop thinking. So this is a whole program, isn't it? How do we do that? So the first thing I'd like to ask is, is there anyone here in this room who wants to stop thinking? Come on, don't be shy. We're just international here, not England. We're not England. It's not. Who wants to stop thinking, really? Oh, it's a minority. No, not many. So maybe you can just leave the room. <laughs> the one. <laughs> Joking. <laughs> who does not want to stop thinking? Oh, it's an extraordinary thing. So the whole group in between, neither stop nor not stop. <laughs> what do we do with that? <laughs> so I think maybe what it, it's a sign that some of you have realized that one doesn't need to stop thinking, really, to stop thinking. Hmm? The first thing I'd like to ask you is, um, for those really interested in the topic about how do we stop how do you know, how do we stop thinking is maybe to realize that there is a time in our life when we discover that we have a mind that cannot stop thinking <laughs> and maybe not all of you have discovered that yet you know when you realize that the mind can be really uh, you know you can recognize how much your mind is in free fall, it just cannot stop, you know, um, creating thoughts. And most human beings are uh, in that predicament, you know, most of human beings are thinking, 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 never really looking back and see who is thinking, you know, who is thinking. So when we recognize that uh, the mind think when it does not need to, the mind starts um, creating thought forms when it's um, completely out of sync with reality, which means it creates realities that have nothing to do with what's actually happening. When your mind itself is creating something other than reality in the here of the here and now, then 
some of you might think, hmm, I think I'd like to look at that a bit more closely, so I make sure that what I'm writing on the board of my conscious, consciousness is actually what I want to write on, which are our thoughts. You know, what am I writing on the mind? You know, so maybe some of you really want a, a peace. Maybe you want to feel confident and happy. But you keep writing, you know, this, I'm really miserable. I hate myself. I'm a just a nobody. I'm just kind of can't, you know, can't cope with things. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm just meant to be miserable for the rest of my life. I will never get out of this misery. Now, you may not think consciously like that, but isn't it an atmosphere in oneself sometimes that make you feel that never, you will never get out of that misery? So the first thing to recognize is uh, what is our relationship to thought and who is thinking? You know. This is the most common question when people start a Buddhist meditation retreat or start being familiar with um, maybe meditation. Um, the first thing is like they maybe they have had an experience of a peaceful, quiet, free from thought mind. And then the next next thing what happened is that, oh, sister, how can I stop, you know, how can I make my mind not think? No, you can't. Wouldn't it be nice if I said, shut up, keep quiet. But it doesn't. Have you noticed? Your mind doesn't obey easily. Mine doesn't. I don't know, maybe I'm just unique. <laughs> you know, I should say stop. And... I used to love when Achen Sumedho used to tell us about how he tried to stop thinking when he, went, when he was in Vientiane. He was a Saminera, just started his monastic uh, life. And he, you know, he tried to stop thinking and to stop thinking. And the more he said stop thinking, the more the mind would kind of react into a massive attack of thinking again. <laughs> he did not know, obviously, how things worked yet at the time. you know, But the way he was expressing it, he was aware that that's the way the mind worked. He says, you know, mind is not really who we are. You know, our mind is a conditioned personality. It's a conditioned mind. It's not, uh, you know, it's not ours. And so, you know, you say to the mind, stop thinking. That's really when you recognize your mind is not yours because if it was really yours, it would, it's supposed to stop thinking if you say stop. But it doesn't. A mind is, has its own life. So the fact, you know, you notice many people, um, you know, try to meditate, especially uh, in certain parts of the world, try to meditate. And if, when they meditate, if they see thoughts, the, um, the next thought is, I am getting it wrong. I'm not meditating correctly. My meditation is not good because I'm thinking. So they try like crazy to try to shut down and they sit and it's really intense and concentrated to really suppress any thought coming up <laughs> with a face tight and wrinkles in the middle of your head, the forehead, and really try really hard to stop thinking. And that is actually the quickest way to end up in a psychiatric hospital. <laughs> if you really want to fast lane to a psychiatric hospital, just try to stop thinking. Because the mind, it's not a problem. Why should the mind just does its own thing? Just like your, you know, 
your digestive system has a lot of gurgling and a lot of things going on when you digest something, don't you? And your mind has its own little gurgling called thoughts. It just gurgles away. So, um, you know, when people say, how do you stop thinking? I say, don't worry about stopping thinking. Just begin to make peace with your thinking. You begin to find a relationship with your experience in the present moment that is one of freedom already. At that moment, you can already be free from thought by the very fact that you are looking at your thinking mind in such a way that you're not, you know, you're not getting entangled. We're just an observer, a witness, a, a seer of, of, of your mind. Now, that's not going to sort out everything. Looking and observing the, you know, the, the mind that can think really sometimes obsessively, you know. And it is really, uh, it's quite scary when you, when, when you, when you are, uh, you know, when you are listening to a mind that is unable to stop. It's scary because, you, you know, thoughts are powerful, aren't they? They're very powerful. And at first we, we tend to think that our thoughts are just a, 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 a personal affair and they don't really go very far. Unfortunately, when there's not much mindfulness whilst you're thinking, they do, they, they go far away, more far than you think. They affect your environment and they affect yourself and the people around you. So let's say, if for a certain time you have thought of envy or jealousy or anger, okay, that will create a whole world that follow behind that thought. You have the body is affected by that thought, those thoughts, the, 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 that which can manifest as an emotional response, you know, which can manifest as they are right, I'm wrong, you know, I'm right, they are wrong, etc. We start creating a world of complications, a world of, um, you know, peripherations, and we get completely sort of lost into, in this world. So, the idea is, the question is not, how can I stop thinking, but how can I understand what makes me think in the first place? Why do I want to think? Or do I want to think? Or is it just happening beyond my control? Ask yourself. Questions are very good because they really stop you thinking sometimes. Who is thinking? Uh, Oh, I, I know, I know, I know. So and so said that, and so and so said that, and Bandis did this, and this monk said that, this nun, or whatever, you know. Or the books, or Wikipedia, <laughs> or dictionary. So when you, um, you know, when you really are, are interested in this topic, the process of understanding, you know. What is what is what what is thought, and what is why does it manifest in the first place? To notice, to begin to notice, when is it that my mind is most prone to go into obsessive obsessive thinking? When is it that my mind is most prone to go into um, you know a, a kind of 
thoughts about worrying, thoughts about uh, this or that. Most of the time, there is an emotional charge behind our thoughts. You know, there is a cause. Thoughts don't happen just like that. And uh, I, I began to study this particular topic myself, in myself, before I was a Buddhist nun in London. I was still a dancer, and I was waiting for a bus on Euston Road, just outside the school where I was, I was connected with. And um, I noticed that, oh, I began to see somebody thinking in them, it's not me. Who's thinking? It's so weird to suddenly have this detachment from thinking. I did not know. I thought that was my thought, you know. Suddenly, I hear somebody having a whole commentary about something. You don't need to know all the details. But it's like, I'm not, yeah, I'm not interested in this commentary. Who's thinking? Who's doing it? And that was really startling for me <laughs> to kind of find that. I had somebody in me that was doing the thinking, and it was on me. I mean, sounds maybe abstract for many of you, but it was very real when it happened to me, and uh, I began to see, began to be really interested. So, I think there's a, a, the, the the first thing on, in an exploration is to be interested, isn't it? Without interest, are we really ready to explore? Why should we explore something if there was no interest? Right. So for me, that really brought me to this level of. Wow, how interesting. And of course, as soon as you're interested in these things, you find that your life is taking you to uh, uh, different places, different situations, different things. You find a book, you find a person, you find something, a situation that helps you in this interest to understand what's happening. Yes? So we rather get buried, you know, in books, in uh, you know, already made kind of answers and already made kind of recipes about how to do this and that. We haven't got often maybe even the energy to explore or the level of interest to make it a priority in our life. You know, maybe we go to Amarawati for a weekend retreat and then we go back home and we get buried in the work, responsibility, all that sort of thing, and then we forget about it until you realize you go back and you say, you, you, you hear again this kind of obsessive mind that just can't get off the train kind of thing. It just keep going. So this interest requires energy and, uh, you know, capacity to sustain the question, who is thinking? Now, I have never found anybody thinking. You may still wonder, maybe somebody is thinking there, but it's not. It's just thought passing through. Now, as you meditate, you see this more clearly. Anybody who's been on a meditation retreat has had the leisure to sit nicely cross-legged on chairs and to listen to their thoughts. Oh, right. And he did this and he did that. Oh, that idiot. You know, I can't stand that. You know, why did, how dare they? You know, it's like, you shut up, you know. And you're on meditation retreat and quietly sitting and, you know, you're thinking of a lovely teacher who's been giving a talk in the evening, maybe for a few seconds, and then, you know, I, I'm going to get that person, you know, really to tell him off, you know. And that job, I hated that job. And you know, all my life, my mother hated me, you know. And he goes like, okay, so space, like clouds, 
the teachers, you know, say it's clouds in the sky, you know, the, and everybody's, yes, yeah, you know, mind is happy. Okay, yeah, he's right, she's right, yeah, it's clouds in the sky. It doesn't affect anything, you notice, when you're on retreat, I mean, a little bit, maybe, but nothing like in real life, you know, when you are back at home with your family. And yet, I want to tell you that if you're really interested in the practice, in the, at any level, if you really want any result in your practice, which means insight, you know, any really understanding, you do have to have that kind of attention and interest that grabs you, you know, that's really vital for you because we're talking about a vital subject here. We're not talking about just going on holiday in Corsica, you know. We're talking about the mind that thinks and that does not think. Isn't it a major topic? You know, it's like the difference between creating the world and not creating it. It's mega. You know, seeing delusion and non-delusion. Oh my God. Isn't it extraordinary? Through the Buddhist teaching, we can actually, the mind that is deluded, continue to create delusion and can stop. Now, isn't that, isn't this worthy of interest? And I'm sure you all have, we all try. And you know how hard it is also, isn't it? Because the law of gravity, the law of uh, habits, and the law of conditioning is heavy. It will dry you down the same old ruts, you know, the same old route. So the first thing with, with um, you know, to stop thinking is really not minding to think. That's what I say to people on meditation. When you stop minding, your thought might just actually feel a bit less stress. Do you understand? <laughs> Thoughts are little entities, you know. If you start fighting with them all the time, you know, the mind is stressed. Not only is stressed by thought, which are mostly redundant most of the time, you know, have nothing to do with the present moment. It's a past, it's finished, it's gone, you know. But not only that, you know, you are creating more thoughts to get rid of them. That's exhausting, an exhausting program. So the first thing is to accept the fact that as human beings, we are thinking beings. That makes a difference between us and the next stages in the, in the life of uh, species, you know. So the fact that we think, and we have an instrument called thoughts, and it is a wonderful instrument, isn't it? Amazing instrument. It's a part of the part of you that can actually questions, the part of you that can make a difference between what is skillful and unskillful, the part of you that can, uh, you know, start um, maybe um, really reflecting, contemplating. You know, that, that, that can create a world of wisdom, you know, through wisdom, through understanding. And so these thoughts are extremely helpful when they are, uh, you know, wise, when they are really a good, good, leading you to the, 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 to happiness, leading you to peace, leading you to deeper understanding and insight, leading you to living really in a way that makes you feel confident makes you feel worthy of yourself, makes you feel a good person, you know. So um, uh, when you, um, you know, when, when you stop clinging to the idea that you should not think, and maybe right now when I said, you know, who wants to, you know, who wants to really stop thinking, 
you know, right now you might just be, feel quite quite happy at Amarawati, and maybe you're not riddled with a, a, a you know a, a stream, a, 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 a river of thoughts, you know. But sometimes remember how in your daily life you get caught up into stories, into uh, stories from the past, stories for about the future. And for some reason, you can't shake them off. They keep clinging to you. They come back like ghosts, you know. They have a ghostly feeling. They keep going back again and again. You can't shake them off. So just like everything else, the way to letting go in the practice is to, first of all, stop thinking, you know, you stop imagining that you yourself are in charge of your mind. The only thing that's in charge of your mind is the one, the part of you that is aware. The mindfulness aspect of your mind. As soon as you are mindful, it's amazing how st thoughts stop. Many of you have been to a, at the retreat center at Amarawati or elsewhere, and you've noticed, in my experience, as soon as I'm aware, my thought stops. There's no room for that. There's no room for the presence now and thoughts. It's interesting. Now, uh, the thing I had to work with for me wasn't so much the, stop, the thought stopping. It was the emotional feeling to not think. Do you understand? We like our thoughts. We can't live without them, most of people, most people in the world. We can't live. It seems like our world is gone. But, you know, when we stop thinking, we feel our world is gone. And for a long time, we can't imagine that we can actually respond to life and the world without having to think about it. That, you know, we, we think, I have to think. Different, isn't it? You don't imagine that thought can... Uh, deal with themselves without you. They don't need you. They come by themselves. You notice that? They come by themselves. But now you can see that there is a, a capacity for the mind to bring up thought when they are needed. When they are needed. We don't need to go on override thinking. And what is the source of all this thinking? You know, ask yourself, when have you been, you know, from a peaceful state of mind, from a feeling good and happy, suddenly you start churning thoughts, you know? Well, most of the time there is, you know, uh, much of our thinking patterns come from, you notice, when you start worrying. Have you noticed when you start worrying, you can't stop thinking about the past, about the future? You know, about anything, worry, isn't it a, an extraordinary uh, source of, um, you know, thinking? When it's absolutely useless. Worry is only useful when you can see really the useful, the uselessness of worrying. When you can see that really clearly and consciously, you worry consciously, then, and see that it leads nowhere, so, if when you worry about something and you start feeling that you start going in a kind of speed train, you know, into trying to find a solution. And it's okay, it's fine. You can just, uh, I think everybody is kind of <laughs> wondering what's happening.
um, you know, we start, um, there are other things that uh, are the source of your worry and overriding thinking, you know, many source of the mind that cause the mind to not be able to stop thinking. One thing is a belief that there is a future. In our daily life, we have a regular reflection on, I could die today. The time can stop. And I still worry, don't we? We still worry. And again, my, you know, for me, I recognize through my practice that the world can carry on and sort itself out much, much better when I don't worry. Now, of course, you're going to say, well, how do I stop worrying? You don't need to stop worrying. You just need to understand what's happening when you worry. Understanding insight into the thoughts that come when you worry. You begin to look at your consciousness, you know, you listen to all these potential disasters that could happen, potential wonderful things that could happen, and you start enjoying it. It's sweet to listen to a mind just as it is. Your relationship to your mind becomes much less stressful. Because one of the most important things in our, uh, you know, in, in our inability to stop thinking is that our relationship to, to thoughts is very stressed. We are constantly reacting to them. You know? I like this, I don't like that, I want this, I don't want that. I'm a bad person, I'm a good person, I'm there, he is, she is, they are, we. You know? It complicates everything. So, notice that um, when you begin to even have an intention to say, I am going to learn to be at peace with this train of thoughts. I'm going to learn to be at peace with an obsessive thinking mind. Suddenly, the level of stress starts diminishing. Instead of fear, you have a sense of confidence. It's okay to have a mind that cannot stop thinking when you don't relate to it you know, in the way that it needs to be get got rid of. You don't need to get rid of a thinking mind. You don't need to get rid of thoughts. No. Don't need to. They can go, they can go when you stop believing those thoughts. And one of the genius genius of the Buddha's teaching is that through a direct access to the mind, you begin to see what he, call, what he called the three characteristics of all phenomena in a, uh, in a human, in a, in a whole universe, from what he says, you know, but we can look at it in our own universe here, phenomena in here, and one of them is this thinking. Thoughts are actually, once you begin to look at them quite closely, you begin to see thought do not exist in themselves. It's your grasping that makes you feel that they are solid. It's a grasping at them, clinging, holding, identifying. You become the thought of, you know, I am this, I am that. I'm a woman, I'm a man. I'm tired, I'm asleep. 
you know. So if you believe that thought in yourself is not conscious, then that's what you become. You become it, you know. I've tested it so many times. I don't give a chance much to my mind. I mean, not that I don't. I'm sure I, I do give still too many chances for my mind to be believed. But I know for sure that the mind is a liar. I have no doubt. It rarely tells you the truth unless it's wisdom. You know, rarely tell you the truth. What I mean, it's not, I don't think the mind lies consciously. It's just deluded, you know. It's just living on um, perceptions, on um, uh, thoughts, on um, uh, ideas and so on, which are, you know, they pass their, their dates. Do you understand? They're not current anymore. They're memory. They're not real. They're not adapted to the real, to the reality of now. They're not adapted. You know, you still, I could say like, uh, you know, uh, cheese and yogurt, you, you still basically feeding yourself on out of date material. Do you understand? It's out of date. <laughs> it, it doesn't smell very good. And when you digest it, it's quite undigestible. That's why it's really important to really uh, get a handle on reality. Because otherwise, you're always sort of, um, you know, living from the past. Into memories, into, you know, if our memories, I mean, everything is treacherous in a way, in the sense that if the memories are good, then you feel very disappointed if it's not as good as the past. And when they are miserable, then it's, you know, I mean, any intelligent person would want not to have to churn again and again an old miserable misery. Now, if we were in charge of our mind, of course we could do that, but you notice we can't. They keep coming back, you know. Thoughts keep coming back. They keep coming back. And, uh, you know, the, the, the reason one feel very confident about the fact that, uh, you know, when we stop wanting to stop thinking, then every, mind can stop thinking, truly. You know, when I was in Anagarika, I was a cook at, uh, for, you know, on one of Achen Somedo's retreat. I volunteered, you know, and I was cooking in the morning with a, a very nice gentleman there who was living in the, the place. And then, um, you know, I was very, very interested in cooking. There was not much kind of outlet for creativity. So even though I didn't particularly like look, cooking before I became a nun, once, you know, there was not much to create, I started creating delicious dishes, you know. And so I was doing af mimosa, I don't know if you know this kind of thing, and pizza and all sorts of things. And all afternoon, I'll be carrying on cooking in my meditation. Hours of cooking, you know, multiply pizzas and all kind colors and shapes and, uh, you know, I, it was just, and because I was a perfectionist and, uh, you know, uh, sort of, I, I didn't have much patience, you know, so I, I felt, oh my God, what am I doing? You know, I, I was really upset. I was annoyed. Of course, I was trying to be really mindful of being upset, being really irritated, annoyed and angry and, you know, sort of my, I was not even judging particularly, but I just felt this shouldn't be here. That should not be here. What am I doing? My retreat is lost, you know. 
I can't meditate anymore. It's not a waste of time. And then I did that for about three days. And after three days, this is a jewel, you know. This is why I love the dumb, I mean, this path in a way, because you do get a bit of help, you know. You don't know where it's coming from, but at least from your mind, maybe. But a few days later, three days or something, I, I was just like struggling, you know, and, and, and you know, you go the eggs this way and that way and the mimosa and there is some pizza and a quiche, I think. I'm still struggling, so God, I understand that. And suddenly, a little voice, just in the, in the silence of my attentiveness, because I'm really sharply attentive to that, you know, with like saying, should not be here. Um, there was a little message. It's like a little, a, a, a little letter, you know, from wherever. If you cook all morning, what are you going to think in the afternoon? Now, it's not logical particularly, is it? You could cook all morning and not think in the afternoon, could you? Well, it was just adapted to me. It's a special letter to you, a special message to me. Because as soon as the message came, they was like, haha, okay. And the whole scenario stopped. The magic, just like magic, was finished. And you know, for me, this was a compassionate message. It's like, stop struggling, Sundara. This is what's happening. When you cook, you, you know, whatever happened in the morning, you carry on cooking in the afternoon. It's normal. It's completely normal. If you've been upset with somebody in the morning, you might be upset all afternoon. Now, I'm not saying it's normal for you, but at the time it felt that, okay, that's what happened. And when this, uh, and when it stopped completely, really completely, it gave me some clue about how to go about for the next obsession. You know, because everything is, you know, works the same way. If you're obsessed with an, any thoughts, it's like, why are you obsessed with thoughts? You know, what is it that's doing this? And when I was, you know, when, when, when you actually look into it, you begin to see it's Vibhavatana. That's a Pali word. It means not wanting what you have, not wanting to become these thoughts, you know, aversion. The desire not to have that experience, you know. And we don't think so. But when I was talking just only recently with a lady, and she was telling me about her thinking, and she said, I think and I think and I think and I think about this, and I, you know, I've done years of meditation, and I still think and think. And, and I say to her, Are you okay with this thinking? I just innocently, I say, is that okay to be? She said, oh, no, I hate the thinking, and I just can't stand that. And just a few seconds before, she'd been telling me all the things she was doing to stop thinking. It was like going through a night, you know, she was waking up at night, and she was telling me all the methods and all the techniques and all the, all the things that she knew about how to stop, you know, to decrease this thinking. I said, well, that's very good, you know, but do you mind when you think like that? Of course I do. Because that gave me the clue. Yeah, you are averse to your thinking. No wonder they keep going. You fuel them. You fuel thinking as soon as there's aversion or uh, identification, you know, through wanting them or not wanting them. And this is when you begin to see how much the, uh, why the Buddhist teaching is uh, centered around the meditation practice because it will not make any sense for you 
to go through all this uh, interest in looking at the mind if you did not see cause and effect, how one thing brings another, how one thing leads to another, you know. So if you're miserable, you will see that the mind start wanting not to be miserable. None of us want to be miserable. So, but then we get occupied, preoccupied with the thought that comes up out of this state of misery, rather than to notice that the state that come up are actually the result of not seeing clearly the cause. And the cause is just maybe a feeling, a mood. And that mood start creating uh, bringing up memories, even not even thinking memory, it's like physical, emotional uh, memories. It's in the body. You know, it's like almost cellular memories can start being manifesting. You know, it's just something very deep, and you don't know why. Sensations suddenly. And then if you did not know that this is what's happening, you start wanting to get rid of it. Don't want it. Anything that we find difficult, you just don't want it. We're not wired up to be miserable. If we are miserable, is that something in you is just, uh, you know, going to do a bad habit. <laughs> you know, we're not, we're wired up. Our survival is very dependent on a certain amount of well-being. You know, that's why we do so much. You know, we think so much about what to do to feel good, to feel well. Because that's the way we can really, um, you know, survive just physically. You know, if the mind is constantly miserable, you know, and constantly negative constantly in pain, then it, you know, at some point the body starts being sick. You understand? So, um, okay. So remember that, um, you know, that thoughts um, without understanding can turn really uh, against us, makes us believe things that do not exist, about ourselves, about others, and needs really a serious questioning. Who is thinking? And what's happening here now? Is it in, 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 in harmony with reality? Or is it just my imagination? Is it in harmony with reality? Or is this just a result of my own frustration? Is it in harmony with what's happening now? Or is it just conditioned by uh, something that happened in the past and make me believe that it's going to happen again. So, um, you know, this is uh, important to question. Now, the second thing, you know, so there's a kind of, you know, aspect of, you know, di uh, kind of diagnostic. What is thoughts? Who is thinking? You know, and what is the nature of thinking? You know, sometimes have very happy thoughts are very good effect on us. You know. In, in uh, intention in the Buddhist teaching is very important, like the thinking, what you think, what you intend. You know, happy thoughts are very, um, you know, uh, uh, very positive for your mind and body. And so, um, you know, there is uh, the use of thinking in the Buddhist teaching. We don't need to stop thinking, but we, through our meditation practice, which is a remedy, you could say the remedy to um, uh, to, to this world of thinking that some of us, many people, would wish to have it stopped for sometimes. And you can see 
how in society we have many means of stopping to think. You know, we drink, we sleep, we, you know, take drugs, we, um, you know, we annihilate consciousness, basically. You know, we stop being awake. So it's a serious subject, you know, to how can I stay awake in this life, which is quite fraught with a lot of difficulties and suffering, and be able to navigate through this world with, uh, uh, you know, with the wisdom, the compassion, and the understanding that is needed to not get caught up and identified with my life. Yes? So when you, when you look at the mind, and in meditation we look at thoughts, you know, and begin to see that, uh, you know, that they, they are truly changing, transient, and uh, not me. My consciousness can be empty, it can be filled with thoughts, and then it can sometimes become these thoughts when it's identified. When you lose, you've lost awareness and you absorb into a train of thoughts and you are that thought at that moment. You know, when you are jealous or angry, or anger, angry, when you are upset, when you are, uh, you know, uh, irritated or uh, frustrated or whatever, if you absorb into that thought, you become it. That's why it's so important to start really uh, uh, looking into the nature of thinking and looking at what do we do with our thinking. Most people will identify, we think that everything is th they think is them. They are in charge. That's true. She did this and he did that. You know, and it was, or she was, or they were really awful, or they, 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 they cheated me, and so on. Maybe they did. So what? You know, it's their problem. Of course, it could affect you very deeply. You know, but even if somebody cheats us, do we have to turn our mind into a universe of misery? Do we? We can just recognize that if somebody's done something very unskillful, something very, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, dishonest, something. But we can have the confidence that it is possible to deal with this kind of situation without making our mind sick. You know, we, without making our mind in a state of ill health. You know, without making our mind depressed, miserable, angry, and frustrated. And this is a, a, a new, uh, you know, a, a new school for us, a new school of life, because very often we, we tend to, um, you know, we, we, we tend to think that unless we react and we go onto a battle and struggle and so on, nothing will happen. You know. So how to, you know, how, no, so through the means of meditation and of course, not just meditation, but also the aspect of sila you know, virtue or skillful conduct, you know, the five precepts, for example, you know, the, the, the commitment to non-harming, the commitment to not stealing, the commitment to sexual, um, you know, not, not, not acting on sexual misconduct, not, not using one's uh, energy to uh, take advantage of others, you know, the commitment to not lie, the commitment to not take drugs and intoxicant, create a foundation for our mind and body to feel happier, it might take a while because if you're used to drugs and drinks and so on, uh, or anything to annihilate the mind, then it'll take a while for the mind to actually uh, stand on its own without 
all this kind of uh, uh, you know um, um, uh, things that that support its wakefulness, even though it you know drags the mind into a deeper state of sleep, the illusion that you can feel better when you take drugs or drink or so on. So um, you know, as you as you look at the mind and you see that uh, the impermanence of your thoughts the impermanence of your perceptions, um, and also you can see, begin to see that um, the the quality, your, your, our thoughts are, you know, once you've tasted for a few seconds even a mind which is not caught into thinking, you 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 begin to see that thoughts are quite heavy. They're like a cloud passing through a clear sky, you know. And that's when people then come to me and say, Sister, how can I stop thinking? They love that clear sky for a few seconds, and then they're hoping that it will be there forever. And I say, just don't worry about it. You know. You can't stop thinking when you think you should stop thinking. Thinking just disappears when you don't mind it anymore when you don't feed it, when you don't fuel it, when you don't, um, when you don't have this presumption that it should not be there. Why shouldn't it be? If you start looking at it, really, as you see them in meditation, like cloud passing through the sky, coming and going, why so- suddenly one thought seems to be sticking more deeply into one's skin and suddenly make you feel that you've got to go into a war with something, you know? Why? I wonder. Ask yourselves sometime. It's really interesting to see how delusions work. You know, a thought that in your, as I said earlier, in your, uh, you know, in your retreat at Amarawati, sitting quietly in front of the shrine, you know, you see, yes, yes, I've lost my bank account, I've lost everything, yes, yes, Anicca Dukanata, yes, yeah, lost a million pounds, fine. Lost my job. Lost my wife. Look at the feeling, yeah, and feel the feeling. Loss, yeah, okay. And then you go back to the world, and suddenly you can see how everything solidify again. You know, everything again becomes real. And don't think you've done anything wrong. It's the nature of the mind. That's how it works, you know. They don't, haven't done anything. It's just consciousness when it's kind of, uh, you know, go back to a world which is extremely complex, extremely, um, you know, uh, full, filled with so many things. It's not so easy to uh, feel the space around thinking, is it? Because... <laughs> There's a lot of preoccupations, a lot of a, a lot of demands on one's, you know, on oneself, by in, at work, in the family, and so on. It's not always easy to um, look at the world of your uh, your own, the world that you inhabit, you know, from the perspective of Dhamma. So. Um, What is more, what is more important is that as you look through your, your world of thinking, as you begin to really be conscious of 
the way your mind thinks. Some people think they're really nice. When they look at their mind, suddenly they have all these nasty thoughts, you know, going on and on for weeks on end. You know, some people said that to me, you know, they, they thought they were really nice. And then they go, they go on retreat for a while, you know, and there's been like this kind of negative monster in there, you're criticizing everybody. I, I was one of them. I thought I was really nice before I became a nun. <laughs> then you go into a retreat and, you know, you sound, I mean, it's not even inside. It's actually outside, just around you. It's like, you know, she should be doing that and you know, that's no good. And why does he do this? And she should meditate longer. And why does he, you know, walk like that? And so on, you know. Why do they, you know, why do they look so kind of holy? And you know, I can't stand that kind of holy look. <laughs> Why do they, you know, why do they sort of pretend they are Buddhas, you know? Can't stand it, you know? And then when they're not like that, they should be more Buddha-like, you know? <laughs> why should she look such a kind of, you know, um, unholy, <laughs> to say, to, to keep the, to this world, you know? So, you know, our, our mind is, uh, you know, I, I call it a sweet liar because it's, my relationship is much easier these days, you know, it's like, uh, yeah, I don't have to be, you become my mind, of, of course I do become my mind, you know, often enough, but at least I know, you know, it's like a, a kind of decision, part of me, you know, deciding to do one thing over another, or, you know, again, options. And I think talking about option brings me to this um, aspect of freedom, you know, because when we have no option, that's why we feel really stuck, don't we? And that's why we feel like we really maybe can't handle a situation because we have no option, because we think maybe we have to deal with the situation externally. We don't realize sometimes we have this situation, external situation has been created by not just me, but many circumstances, many conditions have created a particular situation. It's not just me, which people tend to think. I am the, you know, I'm the one because of me, everything happened, he died before because of me, or she, you know, had a nervous breakdown because of me, or, you know, my mother hated me because of me, even when I was in the womb, you know. So we kind of make our, you know, ourselves terribly responsible. I remember when I was young, for many years, my parents were perfect, you know. They could never imagine my parents being imperfect in any way. You know, till became a bit more adult and realized they were human like me, and we're not perfect. You know, it's like we tend to want to our parents to be perfect. You know, because we expect ourselves to be perfect. So when you see that thoughts are empty, unsatisfactory, in relationship to the mind that is at peace with itself, at peace with its thoughts. We can actually have a mind that think and feel free. You know? That we don't have to get rid of our thought to stop thinking. We can just dis disentangle, dis disidentify ourselves and look at our thought, train the mind to look at thoughts as an object in the mind, rather than me, a subject, as an object. And this object will come back especially if you don't want it. Once you're at peace with something like that, with your thoughts, once you have seen it again and again, this is not me, not mine, this is not me, and absolutely not me, it's got nothing to do with this, just memory. You know, think, come back. 
then you, it just drops away. It works, I can tell you, I can assure you, it drops away. It's amazing, it works. It's not a, uh, you know, and it's not something that the Buddha con, you know, concocted 2500 years ago. If you let the karma run, you know, run itself, run, run out, it goes. The memory goes, the thought disappear, the story disappear. It does go, but not because you did not want it, but because you've seen it so well, so clearly, it's just completely redundant. It has nothing, there's no fuel left to keep it going. There's no fuel. Mindfulness cut the fuel of delusion. Do you understand? It cuts the fuel. But we, sometimes we're not mindful long enough to really see the difference between a few liters of fuels and 20 liters of fuels. You know? We don't see the difference between, a, you know, the difference between how much we fuel what we experience. But once you see clearly cause and effect, cause and effect, then this interest I was talking to you at the beginning is really aroused because you see it works. You know that when this condition are there, the result follows suits. And so, um, you know, um, and then you develop, you learn to develop thoughts that in, uh, that are part of the path of skillfulness, a wholesomeness, the thoughts that support your Dharma practice, your, your path of liberation. Liberation from what? This kind of letting go of the karma that creates suffering in your mind, suffering in your life, and that is really disempowering your strength, your inner potential. It's, 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 it's destructive. So, constructive thinking, what is that? You know, like meta, like forgive, for, uh, forgiveness. We just had a whole summer camp on the theme of gratitude. You know? To nourish the heart with thoughts that are going to make it happy. But it's not a diet we're used to. Like being critical, the weather is miserable, my friend can't stand me, you know, blah, blah, blah. All the negativity, we feel emotionally very comfortable with that. Having a moan in England is just a delicious moment. Isn't it? Not just in England, don't worry, everywhere. But I know, it's really sweet, you know. It's like having a little moan about the weather. I know, I've learned now how to interpret the emotional resonance of that moaning. And the emotional resonance is comfort. Something really happy, it's connection, you know, with somebody. The weather is really, you know, your dog, the weather. Create a lot of connection, a heart connection in England. Mooning together, it's something really nice. But your wife, your husband, your children, the weather, you know. It's funny, isn't it? So, you can see the layers, you know. There's some layers about this, how a moan might make somebody miserable, and another moan can make somebody more happy. But it's still a moan, which means it's still a miserable thinking. And in the long run, if it becomes a habit, it's not so good. So I would think it would be much better to develop not the, a moaning critical mind, but 
um, you know, we don't want to be a happy clappy type, you know, or uh, I can't remember the name, you know, when you're always happy, happy, happy. Um, anyway, um, but we certainly want to nurture the heart with the food that brings it life, makes it alive, inspires your, you know, uplift you, wakes, wakes you up, you know. So, this is when thoughts become our good friends, you know. And of course, if you start obsessing with meta, people can start really being angry around you because they can't stand you having all this kind of meta, 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 meta everywhere. I have been one of those that can stand meta, you know, because all these kind of sweet feelings, you know. <laughs> kind of gooey, gooey sweetness, you know, sort of liking everybody and... Uh, having to be nice and friendly all the time, under pressure, you know, not free, but under pressure, feeling that. And nobody pressurizes anybody else except oneself, remember that. Remember that. If, you see, if you see somebody kind of really kind and loving, you know, I mean, now I'm, I've, you know, I've grown up a bit, but in, in the early days I remember, you know, that used to empower the monster of anger in me, you know, it's like, you know, raging, like that. How could she or he you know, be so sweet looking and be nice all the time? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But it, it's like that's how you begin to learn how stupid one is, you know. You know, you begin to see your own conditioning. And that monastery is very good for that because really you can hang out with yourself just the way you like, you know. I mean, there are, we have precepts and so on, but within yourself, you know, you can actually just, um, you know, die to yourself. Nobody will bother. You know, you don't have any anything to show. The only thing you... Really, the only thing that gives you little medals, if there are any medals, is like the less you become, your, you know, as a person, the better. And of course, people say, well, if I don't become a person, then I'll die. I won't be... Who, who, who is left? Well, just find out, you know. I've left quite a bit of me, so, you know, but I feel very sort of pretty alive still, you know, I mean, it's, there must be somebody there, I don't know, I haven't found anybody, but it just keeps going. <laughs> so, you know, I don't need to be an I, you know, I don't need to be me, you know, it's sort of, uh, and I would encourage you, you know, just we're coming to three o'clock, so it's, uh, this talk will end soon, but I really encourage you to, um, since we are on this topic of thought and how to stop thinking, um, to remember that um, there is way, there are ways of stopping to think, but not in the way we usually think. Normally, if I stop thinking, I have to find a tool that stops me from thinking. No. You begin to, you know, the tool to stop your thinking is to realize that your thought in the first place haven't got any reality in the way you think. If you make your thoughts real, then you have problems. But if your thoughts, we begin to see, you know, that what you think is only a temporary form in your mind. And the awareness, this refuge in awareness, this refuge, the mind that is aware, conscious, uh, you know, knowing, 
cognizant, you know. That kind of mind, you begin to see as a refuge, a true refuge, in the sense that it has amazing power of intelligence, of wisdom, of a capacity to deal with situation in a way that the you know the the, the the you know the dualistic mind that think I like I don't like all the time you know the mind that is not caught up in that kind of uh, duality begin to see things much more clearly and and, uh, and interestingly it suddenly respond to situation in a way that seem to be so much more appropriate you know so much more. Um, uh, able to solve things in a in a, in a way that it does not create karma. I call it. You know, it does not create heavy results because that mind is much more that refuge of awareness, consciousness. Uh, you know, knowing seem to be so connected with a wholesome mind. And I personally, several years, quite a number of years ago, more than ten, more than ten years ago, I did a week of Abhidhamma. You know the higher teaching of psychology in Buddhism. That's always very impressive. Abhidhamma, highest high dhamma. Well, by the end of it, the person who was a friend teaching told me, you know, actually nobody quite knows whether you know whether it's. You know, did the Buddha go to see his mother and teach the Abhidharma or not? Mind you, they are Westerners, specialists on the Abhidharma, so they may be skeptical as well. We don't know yet. But one thing I learned during that week, and that was really worth it, and I have to go back to the book to make sure this is really what I understood, but it's one moment of mindfulness drag in their trail almost, I think, 30 mental, wholesome mental states. Do you understand? 30. I don't know. I mean, I trust the Buddha. So, which means when you're mindful, there's a whole kind of potentiality there for wholesome response. One moment. And I've got one more talk during this vasa, and I'll come back, check the book, just to make sure if you come back, I'll verify that this is true. But it doesn't surprise me, you know, in the sense that when we are mindful, in fact, it does surprise me in the sense that I always surprise myself to be so skillful and more, uh, you know, so much more uh, uh, able to think wholesomely and kindly and lovingly and intelligently even, you know, when I'm mindful. When I'm not mindful, I tend to be, I notice, reactive, you know, and reaction is always an old response. It's like a hurt response or something, you know, hurt or, you know, jaggled a bit, you know, or something in you has been like shaken a little bit or whatever. It happens before we even know it, you know. And when you, people go on retreat, they say, oh, you know, um, they do a week retreat, 10 day retreat, weekend retreat, and they feel very, very peaceful. Their mind has completely calmed down. Everything is sort of, you know, they see everything clearly. And I've been through this myself. We've seen things clearly. And there's this astonishing belief that that could carry on forever. 
Is, have you noticed that in your retreat? The astonishing capacity to believe that this is reality. Wonderful. That shows you immediately where the mind is at, isn't it? It clings despre- desperately to what it likes. I like that, you know, and I am not going to disidentify myself from that peace that I found on the retreat. No way. I'm going to be this peaceful person for the rest of my life. So I always give talks, you know, at the end of the retreat, we have talks about how to go from wonder, from the retreat to quote unquote the real world, you know. So I start talking about, you know, you knock at the door at your house or your flat and be careful. You might have the halo of a saint. I am sure. But you might be the only one who knows this. Everybody else will just see the old Susie and the old John that left the washing up a week ago and didn't walk the dog for one week and is just that stupid idiot that just is totally unhelpful, wasted a whole week on, on the retreat doing nothing and left me in the lurch. So you might be the only one who actually saw the hello and the beauty of your heart as a the way your heart has turned into the gorgeous landscape, inner landscape, you know, that's sort of so beautiful and trusting and confident. And even when you feel, you know, even when everything goes wrong around you for a few days, everything is okay. (laughs) Why? Because you are still in your refuge. You're still able to hold that radiance, you know, that, that brightness of your refuge. And somebody who is here, who is going to stay here for a while, was telling me that uh, after uh, doing, uh, I think it was just a day, I think, a retreat, two days retreat in Paris with me, um, she felt um, she had this, um, I have a special relationship with bees. <laughs> we have a, a special connection, you know. So, um they, my, yeah, she said, like, for two days, she felt everything was okay. It's interesting, you know, because that's a piece of the refuge or knowing, you know. And the life came back normally, just as it did before, but the heart was okay. And the difference is that you were aware, you know, this quality of awareness was strong enough for you to not crash with everything crashing around you, small and big ways, you know. That's the difference, you know. If your mind might be just the same, but everything is okay, it's okay. Your response to it is that loving, accepting, and meta, I wanted to say, is not just about being kind, but it's also, as I was reflecting on today, when I was thinking about this topic, you know, I thought, meta is also... The quality of the heart that is not bound up with reactivity. Do you understand? When you have metta, you become less stupid. Because you don't just react to things. Do you understand? You have the, the spaciousness, the kindness in you to be, okay, I can see this, but I don't have, my response doesn't have to be a reaction. Just seeing is enough. And trusting that the seeing will do all the work. 
So, usually we have our dear La here doing tea. We don't have tea anymore here, do we? It's really weird. What's going on here? Hey? Who is talking? Is there a little voice at the back? Oh, okay. So, I think we can just stop there, shall we? Yeah, and then we have a, a, a tea break here for everybody. And whoever wants to come back, please come back, and we'll have a, a session of question answer discussion, whatever you want. Okay, serious business now. <laughs> <laughs>